The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. The Tories are looking down the barrel of electoral defeat next year, but what sort of party will they be afterwards? Senior ministers have been playing to the populist right on immigration, law and order, Europe and gender issues. And the Prime Minister has ended the extension of HS2 after a series of clumsy leaks. So just what is happening on the right of British politics? Has the soul of the most successful political organisation in Europe now moved unstoppably to the radical fringe? The why? Curve. So, yes, the conference in Manchester, where, of course, I am, actually. Uh, I mean, extraordinary. A, a, a party that doesn't seem to have a sense of where it's going. And, and, and yet Rishi Sunak setting out a vision, everyone applauding, and yet on the sidelines, everybody attacking each other and, and lurching to the right. Really peculiar. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is It is strange, isn't it? It does look like a, a party on self-destruct mode. Uh, but And the bizarre thing as well, uh, just badly managed. I mean, if they can't manage their own conference, how do they manage the country? So, for example, we all knew about that HS2 announcement before he made it, and he was denying it right up to the up to the day when he actually gave that announcement. I don't think he cares. I, mean, I, think, it, he, I think he's just decided he's got another, what, nine months, and then he's off to California. Who cares? Yeah, well, I wonder whether that is where he's going to end up. And why did he bring his wife out? Why Why would he remind people, hey, look, here's my very wealthy wife, who you may remember was on a tax avoidance uh, programme through her non Dom status. Let's just remind you of that as well before we uh, before we get stuck into mm. things. Uh, who told him that was a good idea? But then all the rest of it as well, not just Rishi, but but uh, Suella Braverman making the speech about a hurricane of refugees coming in. I mean, stuff that, that, that would embarrass most Tories, you would think, most of the time. And Penny Morden's fight speech. I mean, there, you know, there was a stage where you thought she was the moderate choice uh, to lead the Tory party. But this she's very stand- good at carrying a sword. Yes, she's very good at carrying a sword. But this this speech about fighting and I don't I'm, mm. I'm I mean she looks like she's been on very bad acting classes. I mean it has to be seen <laughs> to be believed, uh, and 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 it's that fakery. That, I mean, I know she's trying to be Margaret Thatcher, and look, I was never a big supporter of Margaret Thatcher, but at least she was genuine. At least when she opened her mouth, you knew that this was coming from her heart, whether you believe, whether you agreed with it or not. Yeah. Uh, but Penny Morden, just like she's just play-acting the part of being uh, Margaret yeah. Thatcher. So uh, I mean, all in all, it looks like a party that is unsure what on earth it's going to do, and perhaps secretly quite glad with the fact that it's going to be out of government for a bit, which almost certainly it will be. After the uh, after the election is, coming up next year, it is very hard, isn't it, to talk about this and not appear as though we're just a you know a bunch of lefties. Which I'm, but well, you are way, you're a lefty. Well, I'm not really because I because there's lots of you know I'm I mean I, I do a finance podcast every day. I mean I talk about the finance industry. I'm not exactly a lefty because I wouldn't be doing that for a living. There's lots of things you know what you might what you might consider right wing politics, which I'm I, I'm a supporter. Of. I'm a supporter of capitalism, uh, but I. Uh, um, but I don't know. I find it, it must be very hard to, for generally, even for right-wing commentators, to look at this government and go, well, you know, there's lots to be said here. Even though, having said that, you know, the Daily Express manages to uh, to whoop it up quite yes. a lot, don't they? Yes, the Daily Mail too. I mean, it's clearly something they can do. I mean, you just, well, you can say whatever you like. No one's going to criticise you, I suppose, because mm. the readers simply believe it. Anyway, we need to dig into what's going to happen to the Tory party. Where are they going? Are they going to end up some rather extreme right-wing rump after next year's elections. And joining us to talk about that is Dr Christopher Kirkland, Senior Lecturer in Politics at York St John University. So, Chris, an obvious first question. Is there 
any remote chance in hell that the Tory party will win the next election? Um, I, th- I think it would take something pretty remarkable at this stage. Uh, you you never say never, really, in uh, British politics, but um, I, I don't think it's looking likely. I, w- I wouldn't be putting any money on it. it what, what I find strange is, though, that they are lurching to the right as though that is the territory that's there to claim. And yet when I look in sort of recent polls, I've seen one that's saying Labour is at 44% of the vote, the Tories are on 27 They seem to want to pick up the more extreme elements of, for example, the Reform Party, and they're only getting 6%, whereas, you know, there's all that other ground, fertile ground, 11% Lib Dem, 6% Green. If you add all of those together with Labour, then that's 61%. So why are they going after, you know, what seems like the, the direction they're going doesn't seem to be where people are. And Chris, it seems to be on very specific things. I mean, you know, there's a law and order bit, there's a education bit, there's certainly, obviously, uh, pushers on immigration. But these are kind of things that do play somewhere, but they're not necessarily playing to the centre, are they? No, I, I think these are playing to their core vote. I, I, I think the, the Conservatives have got themselves into a position now where they need to shore up that core vote, that core 25 30% of the vote to give them a platform in opposition to mm. lend challenge, not in the next election, but the election uh, after. So that's the gameplay, is it? They've already given up on the next election. What they're doing is planning for the one that comes after. I, I think there's, I, I think what we've seen, what we saw last week, is we've seen sort of almost open auditions for the next Conservative leader. We've seen various people coming forward with quite radical proposals, as, as you uh, mentioned, as you highlight. And essentially trying to steer the direction of travel over the next five, ten years. But, but why would that help them, though, even then? Because, I mean, if you look at the uh, the general trends in the public, there's no particular sign of, uh, as Phil was saying, a particular lurch to the right. Is this a battle internally within the Tories rather than really an attempt to actually woo the public? Yeah, I, 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 think, that, I think that's right, really. I think, the, bear in mind, the Conservatives have gone through two leadership elections in the last what, 15 months, um, they're, they're still almost in this cycle of internal party politics, trying to work out where the party wants to stand in the 2020s. So who is standing? Who is vying for the leadership? I mean, obviously, Suella Braveman was auditioning with a hurricane of mass migration speech, uh, Pretty Patel uh, on the sidelines, dancing the night away with Nigel Farage. That's something I'll never unsee. And then uh, Penny Morton with her fight speech, which was just bizarre. Stand up and fight for the freedoms we've won against socialism, whether it's made of velvet or iron. I've absolutely no idea uh, what velvet socialism is, but... They're all having a go, aren't they, as you say, to try and audition for the part? Yeah, and, and modern speech was very much sort of uh, based on Thatcherism, sort of trying to present herself as an heir to Thatcher. And we saw this, we saw this, Lisa Truss tried to do this, uh, Theresa May a bit tried to do this, and of course there's that gender element uh, there as well, which uh, can't be ignored. But at the same time, trying to hark back to what's seen as a successful period, because ultimately, one thing that comes out of the conference and one thing that comes out of uh, the Conservative Party at the moment is they don't particularly see the last 13 years as that successful. Nobody's wanting to defend uh, particular policies. There's not a lot that comes out. Sunak's Sunak speech, sorry, was, was all about change. 
uh, very odd for a governing party to, to say, we need change, essentially. Yeah. And he was talking about change after 30 years. And I was sort of doing the math and trying to work out what exactly happened 30 years ago that he was fixing well, on, since because Thatcher. he seemed to think it was yeah. the way politics had always been since then. I mean, is this an attempt really to say, well, all that that happened under Cameron uh, and under May and under Johnson and under Truss was nothing to do with us? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of legacy uh, preservation here. If, if we can start thinking of it, I, I realise Sunak's probably still got over a year uh, in, in post if he wants to go to the to full term. But He's, he's talking about trying to do things a, a different way, trying to instigate uh, change. Uh, linked to this, also Liz Trust turns up and, and sort of tries to defend her legacy at, at the conference and say, actually, I was right all along. We do need lower tax cuts. Um, a very bizarre thing to do, undermining uh, her successor. So what do you see as the direction then of the party at the moment? Does it have a kind of coherence at all? No, I don't think it does really. I think it's sort of lurching more towards the right. I think there are people on the right of the party, let's see, attacking institutions like the European Court of Human Rights and even the UN as an acceptable means of trying to instigate a rallying call, if you like, trying to um, present some question over over sovereignty, maybe, in, in the same way that uh, the Brexit vote did in the EU referendum. So a, a, a sense of, of, of trying to be... I mean, I don't know. Is it is it a sense that this is such a thrashing around, or they've actually got uh, a few actually coherent ideas? I mean, I, I, I think I think Sunak's clearly trying to put some policy. He's hoping the headline's going to be transport investment, um, in, in, in the North and, and the Midlands and hoping this is going to sort of counter some of the uh, dissatisfaction in scrapping HS2. Uh, but beyond that, we, we are really seeing a, a party, and, and parties do, parties do run out of ideas after long spells in government, but we see a party almost muddling through without that long-term uh, plan, you know, and, and we can see this with the pressure on other services. We were told, for example, Alex Chalk, the Justice Secretary, said the, the UK government's renting out prison spaces from overseas. Uh, this was a, a, an announcement made at conference. Something that you wouldn't really expect the government to be banging no. the drums about. No, bang, banging the drums about problems that they have created. And he he talks about being a man of vision, Rishi, uh, but he's given away the vision of HS2 for this series of smaller projects, some of which have been previously announced, some of which have actually already been built and opened. He just didn't know about them. All summed up in a rush document that has a map on the front which shows Manchester, uh, where Preston is, and references to northern towns like Southampton, I mean, it's full of mistakes. So it's obviously been rushed through. And 10% of the money saved from HS2 is going to be spent fixing potholes. None of this sounds particularly visionary, does it? No. And and in a way, what, what you see here, you see, again, money being used to a, a sticking plaster. The HS2 money was going to be spent on rail. All of a sudden, that's now being broadened out into wider transport. Transport. And, and a lot of the, the pledges that Sunak uh, mentioned explicitly in those speak is money that's previously been announced. So there is this question over whether all of the money saved, if we can use that term in, in HS2 or not building HS2, will be reallocated uh, to uh, projects. So who's he trying to win over with that decision? 
I mean, is the was the HS2 so unpopular that he thinks he's going to pick up votes, or does he, in his heart of hearts, actually believe he's doing the right thing? You know, when he when he talks about how he's a, a man of change and he's doing what the, making the difficult decisions that uh, that other people have avoided making. Do you think he believes it himself? I, I think I think there's a strategy here to sort of pass the buck, but do it in a very subtle way by saying, "Well, we're going to as a government, we're going to have hundreds of." transport project, knowing full well that the Conservative Party and, and Sunak probably personally isn't going to have to make the decisions on that. This is passing it on for the next government. And when uh, the, the costs are announced, or when it does materialise that these uh, pledges are unfunded and the money simply isn't there or it's not going to be there, uh, then it's an attack line on, on the next government, which uh, I fully expect to be a Labour government, to say, well, you've cancelled all these projects. We would have done these, uh, but it's over to you. You've cancelled these. You, you've made a mess of uh, trains and transport in the north. So Yeah, so it's, it's basically laying booby traps for the next administration. Setting them up to fail. So then what about all the other, th- this bizarre litany of things, like, for example, you know, we're not going to need seven bins in our houses. I mean, no one ever said that we would. A meat tax, whoever suggested that we were, uh, other than, uh, you know, Rishi saying that uh, he's going to stop a meat tax. You know, you might as well say, I'm going to make time travel illegal because nobody can do it. Nobody's talking about it. Uh, you know, it's and then smoke, even smoking, even saying, you know, he's going to stop smoking when the smoking rate has been in a, a fairly steady fairly sharp decline actually over the last couple of decades uh, he's not doing anything about vaping it seems but stopping smoking which is already going down that is a bit like saying well i'm going to you know i'm going to reduce inflation well of course you are when it's so high of course inflation is going to go down these are all easy wins i'm just wondering who he's believing is being convinced by all this sort of stuff well maybe lots of people are maybe he's on the right track well their policy and you say really that are a bit unoffensive you know, people people generally will, will see that and say, well, this is a plan to save the NHS, going back to smoking, this is a plan to save the NHS money. That's that's a good thing. You know, very few people will say, I'm actually opposed to the, I'm actually opposed to this. Uh, he's targeting what, as you correctly identified, is a, a very small group and a declining group of individuals within society, those who buy traditional uh, cigarettes and tobacco products. Uh, he, basically seen as a as a win-win in that sense and what about this this anti-eco trend that there's been there you know he's championing the car he's he's pushing back against the idea of, of restricting uh, new oil drilling and this kind of thing he's definitely riding a particular horse there but it seems i mean who on earth does that actually appeal to is it a big part of the electorate who are across about about the the, the costs that will come to them from from things like ULEs? i mean is he actually going to a particular part of the electorate that's going to be productive for him well i, th- I think it's an overreaction to uh, the Uxbridge by election uh, where this, this was seen as something that, or, or the expansion of ULES uh, under the, the Labour mayor, Sadiq Khan, uh, was seen as something that cost the Labour Party last election. I, I think that election in, in Uxbridge has been um, over-examined uh, to, to quite a large degree, uh, and, and the Conservatives are taking from this. Actually, we're, we're a nation of motorists. It's the car owners that are going to be uh, essential in the next election. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see sort of the Mondeo man or, or the, or the uh, defining uh, voter uh, in terms of cars, but that, that, that sort of, I, I think, where this 
path has come from. So he's gone, hasn't he? Uh, as far as the Tory party is concerned, as we've been saying, people are auditioning, not particularly impressive people are auditioning for his role. Uh, he is gone at the next election, obviously. Yeah, well, he can't, he can't survive a defeat, can you, he? You wouldn't have thought so. Um, I mean, the, the tradition now is that party leaders resign after losing an election. Uh, Corbyn didn't in 2017. Um, the last Conservative leader not to after losing an election was, was Ted Heath in 1974. Um, sorry, 1974. Um, you, you'd expect either Sunak to, to jump or be pushed quite quickly after an election defeat. And how unusual is it to have, I mean, arguing against that HS2 cancellation, was well, bizarre actually, isn't it? It's not the, it's not the whole project, but it's, it's completely meaningless going from just north of London to Birmingham. Um, and, and, you know, and whether that, uh, that Euston development, because he's not really got any firm plans for that either. But anyway, all of that aside, however much of HS2 survives, how unusual is it to have two fairly recent former Conservative Prime Ministers uh, talking out against it as though it was a, a bad decision? I mean, this is, this is a party turning on itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean... It's, it's peculiar enough to have two or three former Conservative Party leaders that are still at the forefront of politics. Bear in mind, Lisa Truss is still an MP. Theresa May is still an MP. You, it, it, was, it was an exception when Margaret Thatcher stayed on as an MP uh, rather than resigning her seat after giving up the leadership in 1990. Uh, having two former MPs, uh, former Prime Ministers, sorry, on the back bench is, is unusual and unique in itself. But the thing, the thing with HS2 uh, is, is significant about identity, I think. A lot was made in 2019 of the Conservative Party winning the Red Wolf, winning these voters in the Midlands and, and the north of England. These are the people who HS2 is meant to be connecting. These are the people who HS2 is benefiting by, not, not necessarily by the, the journey time from HS2, important though they are, but by freeing up capacity on the existing rail network. These are people who are, who will feel the force of, of this decision being HS2 being cut. Which is what makes it so interesting about where they are trying to pitch now, Chris, because you've got a situation, we, if we push to the next election and then beyond it, you're probably going to have a, a Conservative Party. I mean, if, the, if they most of the seats they lose are in the Red Wall, then perhaps the more southern seats, which where MPs might be less inclined to be... Uh, to, to take on those attitudes, perhaps be a more liberal Tory party. But if they lose the South big time and hang on to the Red Wall, it may be a more rightward-looking party. I mean, what do you see as the shape of that? Uh, well, well, I, I, I think that, I think that's true. I personally, I, I think that they're returning to their sort of heartlands, their their traditional voters in in the home counties, southeast of England. I, I think um, I think a lot of people in in the Red Wall lent the Conservatives a, a vote in 2019, were persuaded that we needed to get Brexit done, but didn't really subscribe to a lot of their other policies, to be, to be frank, um, and, and never really got on board with uh, the wider Conservative message. I, I think that's, that's been realised. I think the Conservatives now are, are returning to maybe some of their more traditional uh, issues, traditional understandings, um, and, and, and I think that's how it's going to play out uh, when the next election. But that would make them a more liberal party, wouldn't it? That would make them push back more towards the middle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we see this, uh, this, this almost regionalisation, certainly in the, in the south, but particularly southwest of, of England, between the Conservatives and, and the Liberal Democrats. 
and and I think I think we 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 see that again, really. Um, no, but the people who are auditioning for the role are, are more to the right, far more to the right, aren't they? Yeah, that that that's true. I mean, we 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 see who who comes out formally when when it's announced. Uh, there, there's not there's often not a lot of um, to be gained by uh, being the first person out of the door saying I want I want this job. Uh, we, we we've seen that before in Conservative Party leadership elections. Um, it's essentially, though, there, there's a lot of people on the right trying to be the spokesperson for the right of the party. There's no natural spokesperson uh, for that. Uh, there are three or four contenders, and, and, and we've mentioned uh, some names uh, previously, who could or who believe they could do that job. Um, and, and essentially, they're trying to win over each other. Uh, rather than uh, necessarily the party, maybe at this stage. So, do, how, just how damaging do you think the HS2 is to the party then? Given that this is a you know massive infrastructure project that they failed to deliver, and it's not just the HS2, is it? You know, the Heathrow expansion is is going nowhere. The new hospital program hasn't happened. Hinkley Point, uh, you know, that seems to have been shelved mainly because we were you know expecting the Chinese to be heavily involved in it. So, there's no major infrastructure projects that this country is delivering. I'm just wondering whether, because you would have thought conservative voters would like to think that we are a, a country that is able to deliver and stand above the rest of the world. But we are, you know, you, you look at all of that and you think this is a country in decline. This is, a, you know, a, a government that has not been able to take a step forward. And, and even worse than that, there's no vision about taking a step forward. One of the few areas of vision that we had has now been replaced by pothole filling. So you know, where on either side of politics, where is actually Britain heading? Is there is there anybody who actually has a vision for this country? I I, I, th- I think these are these are fair questions. I mean, the the, the background to some speech was a long term vision, uh, and as you said that, that without uh, any, yes, yes, we 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 we've no policies to back this up. I I, I think in terms of opposition parties, uh, we, which I which I think is where where that, that sort of frame is going, and, and we are looking towards opposition parties now, particularly the Labour Party, to see what might happen uh, post the next uh, general election. Um, I, I think we, we, we'll see. We'll obviously see next week at their conference. Labour and, and Starmer have been quite keen to say, look, guys, elect us, we're competent, without revealing too much. Um, I, I think there's problems with that approach. Maybe Starmer will start to show some of his cards uh, next week, I, I wouldn't put too much uh, hope or emphasis on that. Uh, but, but we are. We, we, we need a vision. We need a longer term uh, strategy. And uh, unfortunately, Sunak didn't offer it. And another aspect of this, Chris, that's really interesting about the future of the Conservatives is just looking, and indeed the contrast with Labour, in fact, as you were sort of alluding to there. If you look, just look at what the front benches look like, what you have with the Tories, despite some very as you say, traditional Tory policies in some ways, and perhaps some lurch to the right, you have the most diverse appearance. You have uh, people of colour, you have uh, more women perhaps in senior positions than you get on the Labour front bench. It's quite strange in a way that the point where the Conservatives seem to be getting more right-wing and extreme, nonetheless the diversity that they have in the leadership is really striking. Yeah, I I, I think think there's a few things uh, on, on these sort of points. I think, I think, firstly, remember that Boris Johnson, back in, in the Brexit vote, got rid of 20 Conservative MPs, basically said, 
you're not you're not welcoming this party. Some senior names, people with that experience that you would have expected to be some of the, or, or certainly were some of the uh, big names within the Conservative Party. That that obviously opens up other opportunities, other opportunities uh, for individuals. Linked to leasing, in 2019, you have the Conservative Party win seats that, frankly, they didn't expect to win. I, I, I think that, I think that's fair to say. They, they tell you they expected to win and they, and they thought they were going to win these seats, but uh, they, they didn't really. Uh, I, I, I think that, that that's a bit of um, posturing, if you like. And what this does is this gives opportunities to maybe a more diverse group of, of people, maybe people who aren't necessarily uh, aligned to the, to the same ideas. Boris Johnson famously said, of course, everybody in 2019 supported Brexit, but the question is, is that the only link between these people? And, and there are differences, <laughs> there are fractions started, starting to emerge. So out of all those people that he got rid of, I mean, you know, were there moderates in there that might have created a, a, a more of a balance for the party if he hadn't got shot of them? And, and yeah, that question, is it, is it still all just Brexit? Is the party so divided because people are either for or against Brexit? And they they just can't find a, a, a middle ground on anything because that issue is so divisive for the party and still for the country at large. I mean, I, I'm not sure the Conservative Party is, is thinking in terms of Brexit uh, explicitly. I, I, I think they, they want to move on and get, get away from Brexit as quickly as possible for uh, possibly for obvious reasons in terms of how, how things have gone post-Brexit. But I think Brexit was so central. Brexit was central to, to UK politics for certainly between 2016 and uh, 2020. And this led to a real lack of analysis in other policy areas. Everything was so contingent upon the deal we got uh, from after leaving the EU that by and large other policy areas weren't or, or haven't been as developed as fully maybe as, mm. as they otherwise could have been. Because getting back to vision, as far as they're concerned, Brexit was the vision, and all would somehow miraculously stem from that. And maybe they believe that. Yeah, and and I think the, I think the other thing <laughs> is, imagine imagine if the government uh, commissioned a load of reports on something, and then the Brexit deal didn't allow it, and and wasted all that time, effort, money, and so forth. That 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 would have been. That would have been a bit of a PR disaster, really, for yeah. for any government, never mind a Conservative government pursuing austerity politics. But perhaps the, the thing that's really grasping at the moment is a development out of that, because half the pitch of Brexit was dealing with migration, uh, with the people coming across in the boats or anything else. And that has obviously been a huge failure uh, throughout this, this recent period, as far as the Conservatives are concerned. But the fact that they are addressing that full on and you know, had Sue Ella Braveman talking about a hurricane of refugees coming, I mean, the kind of language you think, had it been said by someone who was not uh, themselves uh, of, a, refu- of, of, of a, a migrant background would just have been unacceptable anyway. But is, it, is that an issue that really will grasp people in the next election? Because that is something the Tories are really pushing still very hard in this drift to the right. Well, it is something uh, they're pushing. I mean, I, I, think, I think language is either acceptable or unacceptable, irrespective of uh, who you are. I know I know, that's, I know you weren't excusing uh, Braverman's comments, but, uh, but I think that, that's worth uh, noting and, and, and pointing out. But, but don't you think, I, Chris, I, if anyone else had said it, it would have been 
it just wouldn't have been accepted at all. And it kind of was accepted, perhaps just because who who was saying? And she was playing it to a particular crowd. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think I think it was accepted within the Conservative Party. I, I, I think it's fair to say, or, or certain uh, elements of the media with a lot of opposition uh, elsewhere to it, uh, shall we say? But the, 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 the point is, these are things that. By and large, we do need to go back to these longer-term visions over. You know, we, we do need some answers to these questions. And what the government's done is it's posed all of these as problems with no ability to, to solve it, no no solutions. And in doing so, it, it fits quite nicely into the narrative that this government's different and Sunak isn't part of the same Conservative government that's been in power for 13 years, something he wants to push forward and um, claim. Uh, but, but he's highlighted these as problems, but the Rwanda policy literally won't get off the ground. Uh, there's no ability to do this. It goes fundamentally uh, against a lot of the UK's international obligations. Um, and, and there's no other... I mean, the, the government seems to have its hands tied behind its back. It can't really do anything or suggest anything to, to overcome so, it. So is the issue short-termism? I mean, you know, because there isn't that vision. So the, the opposite of that is, is short-termism and sound bites for the media. And with so much media around, is that it? Is that is that the situation now for politics generally? And maybe this is the case around the world, that politicians aren't actually developing long-term policies because they're all, cons- all they're concerned about is what their PR t- team is, is reckoning is going to get the most coverage through social media and, and on TV that because, night. Because so they want to get re-elected. Another- I mean, it's, it, it's the price of democracy, isn't it? Well, it's just like if, so long as you can make it through another day without getting hounded by the press. It's almost like, uh, yeah, how do, we, how do we get through this week, right? rather than how do we develop a coherent vision for the country. Chris, is that where the Tory party has found itself now, then, effectively? Um, I, I, think, I think that's a, a pretty fair assessment. I, I mean, just to go back to the idea of short-termism, you can link this to things like austerity. You know, the, this was a very sort of short-term measure. How, how, how do we fix this situation right now? How do we fix Britain's problems over the next four years or so, or, 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 or eight years, that, that Osborne, uh, even back in, in under the coalition, was was trying to do. Uh, Longer-term planning does require investment. It requires investment in public services, in infrastructure, all, all these sorts of things that, that were just slashed, essentially, in the, in the decade after 2010. So they will be hoping then, because that, that lack of investment, obviously, is the biggest problem the country faces. Uh, they will be saying, well, OK, we, we haven't done it. We're not going to continue to do it. We've only got to survive for another year. Uh, we'll leave it for the Labour Party. We know that it's an almost impossible t- task to do in uh, in one term of government. And either that means the government is going to go uh, into heavier into debt or they're going to have to put taxes up. That's not going to be popular. Uh, we'll come sailing right back in there uh, because, as you said earlier, you know, we've set them up. We, uh, and maybe they will drip feed more projects that they can't deliver. Uh, over the next year as well. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's examples of this not not just from the last week. I mean, take take the concrete crisis in school. The education secretary' first response to this what apparently was, well, just last it out fifteen months, then it's someone else's problem. You know, the all, all these sorts of things that essentially it's the people are concerned with the optics. It is the optics. It's it's PR. It's who's who's watched as these. Schools literally collapse under uh, is is more concerned than the long term planning. 
which which is a horrible thought, thought really that that's that's what it's come to. But 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 Chris, as we as we kind of look uh, draw this conversation to a close and look ahead, if are we going to see beyond the election next year a party, the Conservative Party, effectively in the wilderness, possibly with a really quite small number of MPs? for a lengthy period. I mean, that seems to be the conclusion of everything we've been saying, but do you think that's going to happen? Um, well, I, I think, as I say, I think the Conservative Party think they'll be out of office for for one parliamentary term and, and, and then ride back in. I I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen. I, I think we, we've seen over the last uh, 50 years in British politics, really, that once the government gets in, it's going to take something substantial to get the government uh, out of office. We're also going to see uh, a lot of problems, certainly related to, to the trust mini budget, still coming through as people remortgage their house, as, as the housing market uh, tries to accommodate some of those uh, economic problems. And of course, we've got the legacy of austerity. I, I think there's a lot really that the Labour Party can, can work with in office, much in the same way that, that the Conservative Party, certainly in the coalition period, uh, whenever they were asked about economics, said, well, essentially, Labour trashed the economy. They didn't fix the roof while the sun was shining. Uh, and, and that excused a lot of their uh, economic policies and a lot of the perceived failures uh, within the British economy. So, so, so Chris, if, if we were to play this tape to somebody in the Tory party, of course, they'd go, oh, yeah, well, you just got one of those woke lefty uh, university lecturers, uh, you know, just pushing his, his barrel. Uh, and th- And that sort of points to... The issue that we face now, that uh, politics is so divisive, isn't it? Everyone's picked a side. There's no way in the world you can get a group of people together to talk about actually what's best for the country because everyone has drawn a line and they're standing on the inside of that line holding a position with, without any shared vision for where we go for, for, the, for the country as a whole. Well, that, that's always been the case. I mean, that's, that's not something new. I mean, polarisation in I, politics. I feel like it's is, got is worse, though. Sure. What do you reckon, Chris? At the same time, this links back to uh, sort of other things. And I, I remember in 2016, Michael Gove said the country had had enough of experts. Oh, yeah, those people. You, you know, and, yeah. and this sort of willingness to attack anybody that disagrees with you and, and label it, whether you label it woke in terms of ideology or, or fake news, as Donald Trump uh, did, and, and did relatively successfully in, in the United States. It's all from the same playbook, essentially. Um, and And... That is a problem. I, I don't think it's particularly new. I think, though, uh, it's becoming far more mainstream in terms of uh, political parties. Well, we will see what the Labour Party brings up uh, in their conference next week. I, I'm not, <laughs> I haven't got high hopes for any great vision coming from them either, to be honest with you, which then raises the question. Yeah. I mean, you, your observation that maybe it'll, it'll go to a Labour Party for one term, a one-term government, and then swings back to the Tory party, you'd have to assume it's going to be a less uh, extreme Tory party if we do see it move back. Um, I, I think in, in terms of the, well, the one-term the one uh, question... I think I think this is this is still open. I, I think Starman needs to set out a positive vision, and and we we can see this. We see this in sort of Labour's big wins in the certainly in the post-war period, uh, forty-five, sixty-four, ninety-seven. At least rhetorically, had some notion of a, a positive vision: the New Jerusalem's, the White Heat, uh, New Labour, and and Blair's modernisation. Uh, now, whether you agree with those or, or, or not is, uh, is another matter, but at least rhetorically there, there was something to hang your hat on, something mm. to, to well, 
Yeah, like well, um, like uh, for example, a high-speed rail network uh, uh, through the backbone of the country. Oh, what about that? I just thought of that I one think, just now. What about that? I think idea? we can all we can all we can all coalesce around thinking that's probably not a good idea at this well, stage. Speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> thanks very much for being with us, Chris. Uh, we'll be talking about Labour, of course, uh, next we week. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting to get a sense of where the Tories are and well where they might go in the future. Good to talk, Thank Chris. Thank you very much. Thank so you. and that Labour Party conference next week. I mean, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because uh, they. I mean, maybe they feel like they don't have to come up with a plan. Maybe they just think, well, we'll just keep quiet. We'll just whisper quietly and just watch the Tory party implode. In which case, there's no point in having a conference next week. They might have just might as well just cancel it and say, look, it looks like we're going to win anyway. Just vote for us. But I mean, they have to obviously have to have a conference and they've got to come out with some sort of statement because I have no idea, absolutely no idea what the Labour Party stands for currently. Well, they're terrified. That's the point. They're terrified of saying something which someone somewhere will object to. They're so desperate to get votes that they that they don't want to say anything. So the fact they're not Tories is their best card. I mean, as various people said, all you'd have to do on the doorsteps is simply say, Liz Truss, and then people will vote for you. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it, it's one of those things. You, you, it's almost automatic, so therefore they don't need to do anything. But, but interestingly, like the point Chris was making... You know, the Labour governments in the past, White Eater Technology, the um, you know New Labour, there were visions. Mm. Maybe that's what they do need at yeah. core. Well, I think the vision, and if you look at the look at the polls for where attitudes of young people are, where future voters are, maybe it's too soon now, but certainly in 10 years' time you'd be doing this. You'd be saying the future is with Europe. We need to do more with Europe. Uh, and and that is the dividing line, I think. That is what has destroyed or split the Tory party in two. Uh, that is the, the responsible for a large part of the woes that we face in this in this country. That's why we've weathered the uh, pandemic yeah. worse than most. But the Labour uh, Party is not going to talk about going back into Europe. I mean, they they, they, they try and avoid no, but saying they can, it. They can talk about, but he's but he's already started down the road of saying, well, we we want to develop a, a stronger relationship with mm. Europe, uh, and that that would be the way to do it. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised well, if we saw more of that, and uh, and that might be the smart way to do it. But look, well, we'll talk about we'll all find that. all about next it. week. Next week we will dive into that with one of the country's leaders. Uh, political commentators on the Labour Party, actually, Matthew Flinders of Sheffield University, and get a real sense of um, of what Labour is going to put up. Is there a vision at all? All right, that's next week on The Why Curve. Thanks for listening today. Catch you then. Bye. The Why Curve.